Please bow for a word of prayer as we spend our time in the Word of God here in a moment. Father, we thank you again for giving us this opportunity to come together to learn from you. We, like the psalmist, have a desire to fully delight in your Word, to find our greatest joy there. You have certainly dealt with us graciously according to your Word, and we are grateful that We can be here tonight to learn the joy that we are to have in our heart by knowing Jesus Christ, the comfort that we can have by the Spirit which you have given. Cause our hearts to resonate with these things that we might have the joy that you give because of our relationship with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll ask you to take your Bibles with me and return to our study of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we have said all along, these are comforting words that Jesus Christ is sharing with the disciples. Comforting words to these 11 confused and anxious disciples as they wait for what is to come, and comforting words they ought to be to us in the 21st century as those who are disciples of Christ, just like they were. The entire section, as I've said from the beginning, starts in chapter 13 and really runs all the way through chapter 17, and that entire section ought to bring comfort to any of us as Christians. And the nucleus, really the the center huge, if you will, of that comfort really finds its highest point in verses 15 to 31. And I want to begin our study tonight by reading for us from verse 15 down through verse 26, and then we'll continue. If we have more time, we'll continue on. But for the most part, I want to spend our time in those verses, so follow along as I read these verses for us. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. In the past, as I have 
spoken to you from time to time. I told you of one of my nephews when he was very young, uh, four or five years old. He was with a group of preschoolers. My wife and I talk about this from time to time. And in this group of preschoolers, they would often get asked a question by their teacher, what is one important thing that your mom or dad tells you uh, about life? And of course, young kids say all kinds of interesting things. And the answers have a wide range of variation. Some say things like, my mom tells me that she loves me. Others were saying, my dad always tells me that Jesus loves me. And if you knew my nephew, then you knew he was kind of a a thinker. And when the person of the group said to him, what does your mom tell you about life? He said this, my mom tells me life is hard. He's a preschooler. <laughs> my wife tells, my mom tells me life is hard. My wife and I laugh about that statement in our family from time to time. We even bring it up sometimes when when things come up, when difficulties arise, because the reality of it is so true to life, isn't it? Life is hard. Life is hard. It's full of trials. It's full of difficulties. It's full of circumstances that have the direct potential to bring confusion to us, cause our hearts to be anxious. Numerous things take place which have the likelihood of producing some kind of emotional turmoil within our hearts. Life is hard. And so often, because life is so full of times when we're prone to some kind of emotional upheaval, some kind of difficulty in life, because of our humanity, we are in, then, a constant need for comfort. That's just a constant need of us, this side of glory. We are need... We are in need of comfort because life is hard. Comfort soothes the heart. Right? We have a God of comfort and He comforts us so that we can comfort others with that with which we have been comforted, Paul said to the Corinthian church. Comfort soothes the heart. It brings rest to us. It calms our fears or at least helps to. But it only does that if It rests in the only place true comfort can come. In other words, if the heart seeks comfort in the things of humanity, if the heart seeks comfort in the things of this world, this earth, the only comfort it gets is more anxiety. Why? Because it always takes more and more of whatever it is that might be comforting my heart today to comfort my heart tomorrow. The same thing that might bring me comfort from a human standpoint today isn't the same thing that will bring me comfort tomorrow. Human comfort is just as temporary as our human life is. But true comfort, true lasting comfort, comfort that will last, comfort that will really soothe the soul, that will bring calm, that we really desire, comes only from Christ. And what Christ uses to comfort those who are His when trouble strikes is the exhortation to live according to what He promises. Live according to what He promises. Now, we need to think about this truth for 
our time tonight because the greatest word that we could ever say to a person in sorrow would be the promise that that sorrow that they're dealing with, that sorrow that they're going through will only be temporary. The promise that they, whatever it is they're going through, will not last forever. And it's easy for us to rely on that promise when the anticipation is for something that we ourselves set in motion, right? When someone says, hey, listen, you, you can be comforted, this won't last forever. Well, if we've set the, the, the difficulty in motion, then it's easy for us to rely on that. For example, my wife and I, before we got married, were engaged, and then we spent nearly a year apart during our engagement. It was emotionally painful. It was difficult for both of us. It wasn't something necessarily inflicted upon us by others. It was something we decided to do. And the pain of the separation was more easily endured because it was our decision. But also, it was easier to endure because of the anticipation that the promised wedding day was coming. The promise made the separation less painful. But it becomes more difficult to endure struggles in life, trials in life, difficulties in life when we have to endure something that's brought on by something that we did not do ourselves. Something outside of us, outside of our control. And much of life is filled with all those kinds of things. There's illnesses in life. There's sinful separation in relationships that happens. There's physical, emotional pain brought on through any number of circumstances. And the greatest comfort that could come to someone in those times is that it's not going to last. Trouble's not going to last forever. To know that even though life is hard this side of heaven, it will only last for a time. It will only last for a time. We know what the Bible teaches, right? These are simply momentary light afflictions, Paul calls them. Momentary light afflictions when they are compared to the glories to come. And as Christians, we know that intellectually. We read our Bibles. We hear the promises. We, we know that intellectually, and we believe it in our hearts, but we still have a difficult time living according to it, don't we? We still struggle in the flesh to have that real calm, that real restedness against our own humanness, against our own emotions, so that we might do what is commanded of us by our Lord, even in the hard times. Times of great turmoil, living Christ-like is like being on the front lines of war, really. Everything around you is a battle. Everything around you is commotion. Everything around you is heated war. There's high anxiety around every turn, and it is for that reason that Jesus Christ brings comfort to our hearts through his promise. And while that promise is what we hear, 
It's the implications of the promise, really, that truly brings home. The implications of the promise. And we need to continually remember these implications to endure, to walk faithfully through whatever difficulty God has for us. But what was the promise that Jesus tells these disciples? What was the promise they needed to hear? Because they certainly are troubled. The beginning of chapter 14, let not let your heart not be troubled. Jesus had just told them that he's leaving the scene. They're troubled about that. They're disturbed about that. What was the promise that they needed to hear? The promise that even though Christ was going away, here's the promise, another helper was coming. Someone else was coming. The promise for these 11 was a future event. Listen, this isn't going to last forever. A new helper is coming. But for you and I, you and I who live right now, 21st century Christians, on this side of Christ's resurrection, it is a present time reality. This isn't a future promise. This isn't something, hey, it's going to happen. This is something that has happened if we know Christ. What Christ wanted them to know was that the helper would come, but the comfort that we have is that the helper has come. We cannot miss that. We cannot miss that. I will ask the Father, he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. We cannot miss that. What would bring a calming sense to the very anxious moment of these guys' lives ought to bring us the very same calm. It ought to be the greatest comfort because we have the promise of the Holy Spirit as a present reality for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And even more than that, what would bring comfort to them ought to be the same thing that fully brings comfort to our hearts that's not simply hearing that the promise of the Holy Spirit, but what the implications of that promise mean for our everyday life. In other words, a promise is no good if it's only words, right? It's only words. It means nothing. Words bring little comfort if they have no substance. But the promise of Christ brings comfort to our hearts. It ought to bring comfort to our hearts. The promise of Christ would bring comfort to their hearts as men who were struggling in this moment, and it would be a calming effect in their lives. Why? Because of the implications of that promise upon their lives. Because it's through the promise and through the power that comes with the promise that you and I, along with these 11 disciples, are enabled and empowered to not only walk in obedience to Christ, even in the midst of trouble, but to do it with true peace, actual calm. So what are those implications that flow out of this heavenly promise? I'm going to send another helper. Last week we began to look at these in our morning service, and I said I wanted to give us seven Actually, there's six implications that flow out of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Implication number one, just by way of reminder, is this. God is actually with us. God 
is actually with us. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, if you are a Christian, God is actually with you. Remember, the key to this very implication is not necessarily the function of the Spirit among us. That's not what is being emphasized, at least in this first implication that I want to bring out. That's a grand comfort to us. That ought to be a comfort that we have our helper in our humanity. We need all the help we can get. There's great comfort in knowing that he's with us, and yet there's another implication entailed in this that he being our helper is so comforting because he is another just like Christ it's not simply that there's another coming and oh that's great that brings comfort enough but this is another just like Jesus Christ I will ask the father and he will give you another helper another of the same kind sometimes I hear Christians say this in their life Sadly, I've even thought this myself in the past. We say sometimes, wouldn't it have been great to actually have been here on earth when Christ was on earth? And we say that with this kind of idea that that somehow, in some way, in the 21st century Christianity, we somehow have missed out on something because we weren't born in 1st century A.D., when Jesus Christ was around. It carries the idea that just because we were not there, because we are here, we have somehow have a lesser kind of idea of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we've missed out on being in direct contact with the ministry of Christ. But that's not what this text tells us. We have to realize that when God regenerated us, He gave us the faith that we use to embrace Christ. That was a gift of God. The faith in Christ, Ephesians 2 tells us. Faith, that nut of yourself, it was a gift of God. And we were given one who is of the same essence as Christ. God with us. So the reality is that we haven't missed out on anything. We haven't missed out on any part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because we have God the Spirit actually with us in present time. So rather than being transported into the time when Christ was physically on the earth, God has come to our time to be with us. We don't think of it. Christ asked the Father, and the Father sent the Spirit. So the implication number one is just that. God is actually with us. Implication number two was this. Because He's actually with us, we have an everlasting union with God. We have an everlasting union with God. That's the second part of verse 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. This means that the Spirit isn't just coming for a short time. He's not just coming for a short visit. It would be no comfort to us, especially in times of trouble, if we were unsure whether the Spirit would be with us or not with us. I certainly wouldn't want to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and boy, I sure hope things go well. 
In fact, it would produce great anxiety in my life if I were unsure whether God was actually with me. Jesus Christ tells these men who were under great struggle, difficulty in their hearts, what's going on, they don't understand. He is telling them that the Spirit would not come and go, that He would not be there temporarily for a time and then gone for a time. It would not be like the Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament. It would not be like the Spirit's ministry to them at the present moment where the Spirit comes upon someone and then they go and do the bidding of God like the prophets of the Old Testament. It would not be like that anymore. The implication of this promise was that we now have a vital, we now have a continual union with God the Spirit forever. You cannot go anywhere where the Spirit is not with you. This makes sinning even more heinous, doesn't it? This is why Paul would continually emphasize the reality that when we sin, we're, we're taking God with us. God goes with us. He's always there. He isn't there just for troubled times. He isn't there for difficulties only. He's there all the time. Sometimes people use God as some kind of cosmic genie that they call on when trouble strikes, but He's there all the time. And so Jesus is saying what was promised and what was prophesied through the spirit of Ezekiel or about the spirit through Ezekiel would in fact actually take place. In fact, I want to go back to that chapter for just a moment, Ezekiel chapter 36. I just want to read it for us. I don't really want to say a whole lot about it. I just want to read it for us and just have us thinking about that as we think about this reality of the spirit being with us. And, of course, some of this is a prophecy even to the future, into the millennial kingdom. But God says through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Listen, when we are, when the people of God, when God calls them to Himself, that will be the essence of His ministry. The Spirit of God will be in them. The Spirit of God will cause them to walk in obedience to His Word. This is the promise fulfilled through the Holy Spirit. We have a vital union with God because God, by His Spirit, is in us. And because of that, the third implication becomes a reality. What is that? We have spiritual insight, which the world does not have. He says, verse 17, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Verse 20, in that day you shall know that I am in my Father. In my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In what day? In the day the Spirit comes. Verse 26. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. We could really just simply state that this way. Because we have the Spirit of God in us, we can understand exactly what God requires of us. We no longer need to wonder. We no longer need to be confused. We no longer need to do like the world does, grope around in the darkness in their understanding for truth when they cannot find it, continually unsure of what they are doing, unsure of whether what they are doing will be good enough for God, whether there even is a God. With the Spirit in us, we have the ability for spiritual understanding. Why? Because He is the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth, right? Verse 17, the Helper, the Spirit of truth. Over in chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he will guide them in all truth. That's what the Spirit will do. He will guide you in all truth. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The truth. That's a huge statement. It's a huge statement. A huge implication of the Spirit coming to us. And it has, that, that statement in, in some ways has to be qualified, especially in our modern times, because oftentimes we stop there and many think they're following the leading of the Spirit when they're not. Some people say, well, I just felt right about it. And yet they're living contrary to what God says in His Word. Well, it just seems right to me. Contrary to the Word of God. And if you're living contrary to the Word of God and saying it's the Spirit of God leading you that way, i got some news for you. It cannot be the Spirit's leading because He only does according to God's Word. Chapter 16, verse 13, the second part of 13 and following. Here's what the Spirit does. What he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify what? Christ. He shall glorify me. This is Jesus talking. He will glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he, that is the Spirit, takes of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, the Spirit is taking and highlighting Christ because God the Father is highlighting Christ. There is an inseparable unity within the Godhead so that what the Father says is what Jesus says and what the Spirit says. There is no separation there. If the Spirit brings us into understanding, then to live not according to that understanding, is disobedience. It's not of the Spirit. So we have three implications. God with us, God within us forever, and we have spiritual understanding. And the fourth implication, implication number four of the Spirit's promise to us, the comfort it brings to us, the implication of that reality is this, true assurance. True assurance. Notice verse 18 and 19, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while the world will behold me no more, but you 
behold me. Because I live, you shall also live. This is a twofold reality for the disciples of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, I, I, I want to cover both sides separately. <clears throat> First, we have true assurance that Christ will return. Right? We have true assurance. First, we have true assurance that Christ will return. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's kind of ironic that we talked about adoption a little bit tonight. And the reality is someone said it's not like being an orphan. <clears throat> an orphan is left. That's what the term means, somebody who's left. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. This shows that we are truly, who, what we truly are before we know Christ, we are orphans. I'm not going to leave you like that. That's what we were before. Before knowing Christ, we were exposed to every kind of fraud the world had to offer. Every kind of difficulty, every kind of struggle. We were vulnerable to every scheme, incapable of governing ourselves because of the master who owned us, sin. The only remedy was Christ. The only remedy was a new ruler, a new owner. Christ had to enter the orphanage of this world, select us for his own, and by faith give us a spirit that we might be ruled by another. That's the issue. The promise is that our new master, Christ, has not left us as orphans, but will come to us again. I will come to you. I will receive you unto myself. The spirit has given us that guarantee. Total assurance. Total assurance. The mark of whose we are. But that isn't all of it. That's not all of the assurance that we have because I believe he is saying as well, when the Spirit comes to live in you, I will be there also. When the Spirit comes to live in you, I will come to you. So we have assurance of Christ's return, but also the fifth implication is this. We have an assurance of everlasting life. Everlasting life. A little while the world will behold me no more, he says in verse 19, but you behold me because I live, you shall live also. The first part of that verse, he's tying it with what he has assured them about his coming. Right After a little while, the world will behold me no more. Be assured, I'm coming. Be assured that I am with you. In his resurrection, he was coming. In the future, after his ascension, he was going to come back one day. And now, now he's assuring them that because he lives eternally, so too will all those who love him. Not only can you be assured that I'm going to return, that one day I will come back for you, but you can be assured of this, that if you love me, you will live with me. You will live also. Jesus says, because I live, even you will live. That's assurance of everlasting life. That's assurance of everlasting life. You say, what is everlasting life? 
What is everlasting life? Well, we, we get it right from the words of Jesus Christ. Chapter 17. Jesus tells us as He's praying to the Father. John 17. Father, verse 1, The hour has come. Glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You even as You gave Him authority over all mankind that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life. What? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God, having a relationship with God, is equal to having eternal life. Being brought into a relationship with God the Father by faith in His Son is eternal life. You see, what a promise that is. What, what, a, what a phenomenal assurance that is. What a comfort that is to those who have a troubled heart. Reading this week, one author said it this way, Eternal life isn't the quantity of life. The kind of life that makes you eternally sensitive to what God is doing, quantitatively. No, the essence of the spiritual life is to be alive spiritually, to be walking with God, submitting to the Holy Spirit, communing with Christ. The world cannot know anything about this, unquote. I might add, Truly saved are fully assured when they are obedient to the Spirit's leading. Sometimes we doubt whether we're saved because we're simply disobeying. Our conscience is pricked by that reality, and surely when we're sinning, we say to ourselves, Surely I couldn't be saved and do this. Those who are saved when they're obeying are truly assured. Disobedience brings lack of assurance. Love for Christ is seen through our obedience. Remember, we saw this last time just in here. I'll just remind it. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So it's God the Father saying, if you love me, you'll keep my words. It's the Spirit saying, if you love me, you'll keep my words. We are assured of our relationship with Christ. And we are empowered to willingly obey Christ by the actual presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Nothing ought to comfort us more. Nothing should bring us more joy in our life than to know that God is with us, that He's with us forever, that we have spiritual understanding, that we have assurance because we have the Spirit. God is with us. He is in us. We have been given spiritual understanding. We know that Christ is coming for us. We have not been orphaned. And we are assured of eternal life because to have the Spirit is to know Christ. 
To know Christ is to know God the Father. To know God the Father is the essence of eternal life. We can actually continue to live obedient to Christ with exalting lives in obedience, even when life is hard. Why? Because we have all the promise that the Holy Spirit is with us and all that that implies. All that that implies. In that day, Jesus said to them, you'll know that I'm in my Father and you are in me. He who has my commandments keeps them. It's he who loves me. He who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I'll love him and I'll disclose myself to him. You have everything you need, Jesus is saying, for life and for godliness. Judas is still confused. Jesus goes back to what he said before. If you love me, then you'll keep my word. Trust me, Judas. Trust me. If you don't love me, you won't keep my word. But you'll have the Spirit. All these things I spoke to you while I'm abiding with you. The Spirit's coming. He's going to disclose those things to you that you think you're going to forget. He's going to leave it all. You're going to know everything you need to do. He's going to teach you all things going to bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That ought to comfort us, shouldn't it? That ought to bring comfort to our hearts. There's a sixth implication that I, that I want to talk about, but there's so much in it that I want to leave it for next time because it's all about peace. Peace. Notice Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And there's just so much packed into that that I want to save it for next time. So the issue for our obedience is not about our perfection. We're to obey Christ. It's not about our perfection, how much, how perfect we are in our obedience. It's about our direction. Are we following what the Word of God is saying? Because our gracious God only has fellowship with those whose hearts welcome Him and love Him. To those He gives His Spirit. Their lives clearly reflect their love for him by obedience. Not perfection, but direction. Empowered by the Spirit. We are, in fact, rich beyond imagination, aren't we? Rich, rich, rich. Our greatest resource is the Holy Spirit who is in us forever. What else do we need? What else do we need? I was thinking about this passage in light of our, our study in the morning and thinking about from Romans and the implications of the Apostle Paul talking about in Romans 
justification and the obedience that flows from that. And sometimes that can be very difficult for us to hear because we know so much about our life is a failure. Right? We know that God says you need to obey, you should obey, and we strive to obey, and yet we see failure all the time, and we can beat ourselves up like some kind of religious practice, knowing that we're failures and we feel like we'll never do the right thing. Well, this passage tonight ought to comfort your heart that you have the Holy Spirit in you, with you, You can do the right thing. You ought to do the right thing. And yet, when you do the wrong thing, you have not lost your salvation because the Spirit is with you forever. Forever. And that should be a comfort to us. Now, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. It seems like it just went by so quickly. Thank you for your mercy upon us, for the thoughts about our adoption as sons. And now here we hear that you have not left us as orphans. Even the beginnings of the full fruition of our adoption is taking effect because you have given us your spirit. He is a pledge of our guarantee, not only of your resurrection, but also of our adoption we thank you for that thank you for the assurance that that gives our heart that that is not a temporal reality but it is everlasting that in jesus christ we have everything we need and you have given us another just like you spirit god indwelling us what a comfort that is in times of trouble What a comfort it is when failure is so continual. Father, thank you for the Spirit who convicts us, who brings conviction about sin and righteousness and judgment. Thank you for the joy that we have in our heart knowing that you're always with us even in times of trouble and we don't have to be anxious about anything for it is as you would have it. Help us to remember that, Lord. To be fully convinced of it in our heart, knowing that it is true and right, that it is an honor to your name, it is an obedience to your name just to follow in it. To walk by faith, not by sight. We ask your blessing upon each here, on what we've heard this day. Lord, may we put it to practice in our lives. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.